Thank you, Ryan. Ryan O'Dell, one of our elders. Grateful for you. Okay, we're in a series, um, A Different Kind of Faith. Um, I want to take some time this summer and look at how unique Christianity is and what we bring to the table. And so um, we're using the picture, trying to create the image of God reaching down with an open hand. So God reaches down and he offers us something. And at the same time, he invites us into something, hence the open hand. No other god of the ancient religions did that, the ancient world. And so everything that we've looked at thus far, not only is he offering it to us, he's inviting us into a relationship to enjoy it, but whatever he extends to us is meant to be extended to the world as well. So we've looked at uh, Sabbath, for example, in a world of unrest. We looked at, uh, we've looked at several things uh, throughout the summer. Today we're going to look at light. Last week we looked at glory, and these kind of overlap. They're a little bit similar, but they're different still. We looked at glory in the world of the mundane last Sunday, so today we're going to look at light in the world of darkness. Now, you may have noticed, if you've been hanging around at all, that uh, I've started most of these in Leviticus. Leviticus, because that's a book that most of you read as fast as you can to quit, get through it, if you read it. <laughs> and I recognize most of you don't. And on my Tuesday night Bible study, I took our group through Leviticus. Uh, thanks, Ray Tybersky. We were moving at a good speed. And he goes, wait a minute, I don't get all this. So we slowed way down and went through Leviticus one chapter at a time to show that Leviticus, I believe, lays a foundation for all that Christ does. Because Leviticus is the holiness code. So everything in Leviticus is being contrasted with the world around them. So today I'm going to start with Leviticus, and uh, Leviticus chapter 23, this is, the, this is mostly where we've begun, the festivals, these are all the festivals, and I'm going to talk about the festival of tabernacles, Leviticus 23 verse 33, the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, on the 15th day of the seventh month, the Lord's festival of tabernacles begins. And it lasts for seven days. Now, the festivals throughout this chapter, they're organized into two big groups. You have the group at the beginning um, of the harvest, when they're trusting God to send everything they need for the harvest to grow. And then you have the big group at the end of the harvest, where they thank the Lord for what He's brought, and then they pray that He would send the rains during the uh, off time to uh, take care of the land, so that when they cycle back through at the beginning of the year, they can trust God again for another year of plentiful harvest. So all these festivals that we talk about, Pentecost, all of these, they're all grouped around the agricultural calendar on purpose. And so this is at the very end of the year. God has already blessed them, and they're saying, yes, this is great. This is one of the festivals that they had to come to Jerusalem every year to celebrate. They couldn't celebrate it in all their local towns. They had to come to celebrate at the temple. So, so then he goes on and he says, um, The first day is a sacred assembly. So it lasts seven days, a week long. How would you like to have a whole bunch of festivals throughout the year that each of them are a week long? And you Sign me up, right. <laughs> and we get to rest. And the Lord said, I'll take care of your crops and your animals during that time. And you'll be safe. Just enjoy life. This is what these festivals were for, is to draw our hearts back to the Lord. So he says, uh, the first day is a sacred assembly, do no work. It was the Sabbath. 
Then the seven days present, uh, for seven days present food offerings to the Lord, and on the eighth day hold a sacred assembly and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a closing special assembly. Do no regular work. So this is a chance of celebration. And why? Why? He says down in verse 41, Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This will be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Celebrate in the seventh month. Live in temporary shelters for seven days. Hence the title, Festival of Tabernacles or Booths. Tents. Festival of Tents. So everybody is to gather in Jerusalem and live in temporary tents. This is a camping festival. Is what it is. Live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters, so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Now, they had no idea at this point that they're going to be wandering for 40 years. They didn't know this. Leviticus is captured at the base of Mount Sinai. So, they had just come out of Egypt. They had watched God do the ten plagues. They had watched God destroy the Israel, uh, the Egyptian army that was pursuing them to take them back into slavery. And they're slaves. And at the base of Mount Sinai, remember in Exodus 19, he says, If you obey my commands fully, I will make you a kingdom of priests. They're slaves, and they're about to become priests. Priests to the nations. And so, how do slaves become priests? And he sets up Leviticus to help them understand what a priest is. And this forms the background to us as believer priests. That's why I think Leviticus is an absolutely crucial book to understanding our own theology. Maybe I'll do a series on Leviticus. That'd be fun. It's a great book. It's a great book. And if you've read it through, uh, if you've read it through, you usually read it through fast. You might slow down next time. And listen to what actually God is asking of his people. So they're sitting here. You're in your chairs. They're sitting on the edge of their sand dunes at the base of Mount Sinai. And they're listening to all of these rules that they've never heard before. They knew the rules of Egypt. And they knew the rules of the nations of Cana. They knew all those. They knew what the ancient nations were doing. But they didn't know who this God was. Because this is when he meets them for the first time. They didn't have the Old Testament. Hadn't been written yet. That's what this is. Words from the Lord, which they then wrote down, then wrote down, and that started our written word. So they're hearing for the first time what God desires. And they had just come out of Egypt, and so they're living in temporary shelters. So he set up this festival to remind them of that. Now you're wondering what this has to do with light. Me too, I hope to get there by the end of the sermon. No, I'm just kidding. It actually has a lot to do with light when we'll come back in just a minute. You see, light is one of those very complex metaphors. It exists all throughout the Bible, everywhere you turn. starts in Genesis. It's the very first thing he says, let there be light. It ends in Revelation. The light from the Lamb, there's no night. So the beginning and the end of the Bible has light. That's how it's bookended, with light. And then this, this metaphor of light occurs all throughout the Bible and has various things to say about it. And if we can understand what light is all about, then we can get a grasp of what it means to be light to our neighbors and our friends. And honestly, to each other. 
It's a very big, big metaphor, and it's capturing a world of darkness. So, we're going to, what I did was I just read down through all the uses of light, and I've categorized them in things that will help us grasp what our responsibility is. Okay? First of all, life is life-giving. It means safety. All the way back to the ten plagues in Exodus 10, the Egyptians were shrouded in darkness, it says. But in the land of Goshen, where the Israelites lived, they were shrouded in light. The, the darkness was so dark for the Egyptians that they, couldn't, they had to feel their way around. That's part of God's miraculous work to teach the Israelites what light means. It means safety. Okay. Then in Exodus 13, he comes up with a pillar of light. Pillar of fire, pillar of light all through the night. Why would he do that? You see, the darkness for all of history has symbolized chaos. The Egyptians thought that creation occurred every 24 hours. The God, the sun God would rise and bring order to the world. And for, for the daylight, everything would be in order. And then it would go to the underworld and everything would resort to chaos. So light and darkness in the ancient world are very powerful metaphors. And darkness always symbolized chaos, hostility, animosity, anxiety. That's the time when you're in trouble with the gods. That sort of thing. They always had their wars in the daytime. Isn't that interesting? And they didn't like the darkness. So what does God do? He makes sure in the center of, of the camp, they have a pillar of light all through the night. We like night lights, right? Keep the monsters at bay. How many fairy tales are there around this? This is the history of the world we're talking about. So God put a pillar of light just to let them know that they were safe. So it communicates safety. Then you have, uh, it symbolized God's presence. It's in Exodus 25, his presence. He lit the seven, had them light the seven lamps at the tabernacle. And they were to be burning continuously. In fact, a little bit later in Leviticus 24, he says when they built the tabernacle, put them in there, and they're to be lit continuously. They're to stay lit to symbolize God's presence with the people. So now we've moved from safety to God's presence. That's another aspect of light. God's presence. You're probably thinking now about all the different ways that you're familiar with light is used. God is present with us and light characterizes that. In Exodus 24, when Moses goes back up on the Mount Sinai, I love Exodus 24 because he just finished the covenant, Exodus 19 through 24, and the people said, all that God will do, said, we will do. I just love that verse because they turned right around and made the golden calf. And for those of you that are visitors, I've told my congregation regularly, he's talking about you guys. All that the Lord has said we will do, let's go build a golden calf. That's how quickly we wander, isn't it? We've, we've talked during this coronavirus, the quarantine, that we don't have to teach you why church is important. You guys figured it out. Isn't it great to be together? Yeah, do you like this? You took one sermon off the list that I don't have to preach. Why church is important. You already figured it out. And it's great to have all of you here leading us. And so 
uh, at Mount Sinai, Moses goes back up on the mountain, and it says the whole mountain, so picture this mountain, any one of these mountains, it's shrouded in something that's glowing. It's a canopy of light, if you will. And everybody in the tent, they know that Moses is up there. Who's climbed this, by the way? Gosh, you guys are crazy. Okay, we have people that climb to the top of that thing. I don't understand why, but they do. And so picture Moses going up there, and he's up there for quite a while, and he's getting the law. He's getting Leviticus. It's one of the things he's getting from the Lord, and it's shrouded in this canopy of light up there. That symbolizes God's presence. They know that Moses is standing in God's presence because they can see it up there. So God's glory filled the tabernacle. We read that last week. When they built the tabernacle, it filled his glory, and the priests had to back away. They couldn't even go in. It was so powerful. Same thing happened in 1 Kings when they dedicated the temple, God's glory. It was light. It expressed itself, Shekinah glory in the form of light. They couldn't even go in. It was so powerful. So light symbolizes safety, and light symbolizes God's presence. Okay, start plugging these ideas in, because when I get to the end about how we as Christians bring light to a dark world. These are two really big areas. We should be the safest people on the planet. If you can't talk to us about your brokenness, your dreams that are shattered, if you can't come talk to us, who on earth are you going to talk to? The bartender. I'd rather you come talk to me. I've said all along for seven years, no condemnation, no judgment. Let's sit down and have a conversation. Tell me what's going on. If your marriage is in trouble, don't be ashamed. My marriage has been in trouble. There's ways through that. If your career is in trouble, don't be frightened. God is bigger than that. Let's have a conversation. We should be safe and God's presence should permeate our relationships. People should experience what we believe to be true because of who we are when we're meeting with people. But then you have the whole concept of goodness and blessing. So now I'm going to read something out of John. John chapter 3. Everybody's familiar with John chapter 3 because that's when he's talking to Nicodemus and that has that famous verse in it. um, For God so loved the world. Remember that? That he gave his only begotten son. Very famous verse. But listen to what he says in the same short two sentences later. He's talking to Nicodemus. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. They love darkness. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. And what I'm saying to you, friends, is it's okay to have your deeds exposed. It's okay. The Lord already knows The only one that doesn't know is me. (laughs) But the Lord does know. And you won't find judgment when we talk about things. I love those of you who have sat down and just shared the truth about what's going on in life. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. You see, God desires very much, and this brings blessing. Psalm ninety-five or Psalm ninety-seven says that light brings blessing. Light brings blessing, because the greatest gift we can offer this world is very simple: 
I know the truth about you and love you anyway. That's what God said to Adam, basically. When he went and found him in the garden. I know the truth about you and love you anyway. Every good marriage eventually gets to that place where you can look each other in the eyes and say, I know the truth about you and I love you anyway. That's a starting point. And so that's what he's talking about here. When you come into the light, your deeds are exposed. You don't need to be afraid. You shouldn't be afraid of Christians and you don't have to be afraid of God because that's what brings joy and healing is having those deeds exposed. I'll tell you, there's nothing like it in the world than to have a dark, dark secret brought to the light and somebody say, I just love you anyway. It's okay. That's very refreshing. So, goodness and blessing. But then we find out that God himself is light. 1 John 1, 5. 1, 5. In God there is no darkness at all. He is light. You see, this teaches us a very simple principle. Light doesn't come from inside creation. Light comes from outside creation. It comes from God. That's why God started creation with let there be light. Let's begin there. Let's begin there. So when people enter into our relationship with us, they should see see light and not be afraid of it. Because now they're experiencing God himself. James 1.17 goes further and says he's the father of lights. Those are all words that you've heard before. He's the father of lights. He is light. There is no darkness. He's the father of lights. He's the author. He's the creator. And he's the one that would love nothing more than for you to willingly step into the light to have those deeds which hurt so deeply and cause so much pain to be exposed so that they could be healed. But then, it's very interesting... Uh, we had Ryan read Matthew 5 on the Sermon on the Mount. The church reflects God's light. Now, it's a verse you've read many times or you've heard preached on. I want you to think about a very simple concept in the middle of this. You are the light of the world. Okay, now as good Americans, what do we think? I'm the light of the world. Let me reframe it just a little bit. You see, the you here is plural. You... You are the light, singular. You is plural. Light is singular. You, DCC, and our, our visitors whom we love wherever you come from, all of your churches, we together are the light of the world. And he goes on, it doesn't stop there. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, you, plural, let your light shine. It's what we do together. It's what we do together. And this is the last use of light that I want to bring up. First Peter says that we have been called out of darkness into light to proclaim the wonderful, glorious excellencies of what he has done. Okay? And it's easy to take light and minimize it down to evangelism. Oh, it does include that. But I'm suggesting light is far bigger than that. Light has to do with the way we live our very lives together and with our neighbors. When they are with us, they should come into the light. Okay, now what does this have to do with the Festival of Tabernacles? 
I finally figured it out. I had enough time talking here. John, in the book of John, Jesus is at the Festival of Tabernacles in John 7 and 8. Now let me tell you how this festival had morphed throughout the centuries. So by Le- in Leviticus 93, uh, Leviticus 90, 23, God created this festival of tabernacles. And he said, um, this is to remind you that in the time you've come out of Egypt, you lived in tabernacles. They didn't yet know about the wanderings. Okay, they sinned and they wandered for 40 years. So now they wandered for 40 years, and so they're wandering through the desert, and God took care of them. So this festival of tabernacles took on additional meaning as you get into Deuteronomy and as you get into history of Israel later on. They added to it some dimensions that are very powerful. One was they added the light uh, liturgy. So they have the candles were burning 24 hours a day. And the the rabbis tell us that the men danced 24 hours a day around these candles, singing the halal, the praise psalms. They were singing, by the time of Jesus, they were dancing all around, singing these praise psalms. Okay, And you also have, uh, they added a water liturgy, if you will. Every morning, the priests would go down to the pool of Siloam with a golden pitcher and dip it in the pool and go back into the temple and pour it into, they had water and oil and it would mix and it would come together and flow onto the altar as a way of saying, thank you, Lord, for taking care of the Israelites for 40 years in the desert where there's no water. Okay, so you have the tents to say God cared for us. You have the water to say God provided for us to drink. And then you have the lights to say God led us for 40 years through the pillar of light. They added that to this festival. It's fantastic. It's genius. It's brilliant. Now listen to what Jesus says. This is in the middle of the festival, John eight twelve. Um. <clears throat> When Jesus spoke again, actually this is on the last day. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Now, I can't prove this, but I have a feeling. I have a feeling he's standing in the temple where all the crowd is. And they have, the candles are lit. And he looks at the candles and he yells very loudly, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. All that these candles have represented all these years is pointing to me. I am the light. By the way, when they poured the water out, earlier in John 7, he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. So both the liturgies of this festival, on the last day, he says, I am the true water and I am the true light. But then he goes on. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness again, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me. And then at the end of the chapter, at the end of the time, you know the famous verse, when he says, uh, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, there's that freedom that comes from light. So, what does that mean to us? Remember I said God has open-handedly reached down and offered us light and invited us into a relationship with Him at the same time. And what we're to do with that is to extend that light 
to this world right here. Our friends and our neighbors. And what does that mean? Light is life-giving. Are your relationships with your neighbors life-giving? When they think about you, do they think of life-giving? I've taught for many years young pastors, and one of the things I tell them is that every year a church should go through the exercise and say, if we stopped today and we closed the doors, what would our neighbors think? Would they be glad? Would they be sad? Would they even know that we're gone? There's only one good answer to that. And that leads me into the whole discussion of our role in community to have a very life-giving and safe relationship with the community. If our county officials can't trust us with this, who can they trust? We should be the leaders, even if you don't agree with it. Even if you don't agree with it. I hate these things. Just being honest. But I wear them. In fact, you, several of you saw me as I start to get close to you. I pull it out and just put it on. If I'm moving within that six-foot zone, yes, I'm going to wear it. Okay? So, when you're with your neighbors, is your relationship with them life-giving? If not, change it. Invite your neighbors over. Spend time with them. If you don't want them in your house, that's okay. We do driveway parties. Especially during the quarantine. We had several driveway parties. I got that idea from Jude and Rob. And I loved it. So we've done that. It reflects and it brings God's presence into the picture with clarity. So when your neighbors and friends are with you, do they, do they even if they don't know what to, how to understand it, do they sense that God's presence? Can they, can they think something is different about you? Why is your marriage so good? Mine's not that good. Do they think that? During all of this fear, why are you relaxed? I had a 27-year-old ask me that recently. You're really not frightened by the elections and by the quarantine, are you? Not really. She noticed it. Goodness and blessing. We receive goodness from the Lord. When you're with your neighbors, do you, do you spread that sense of blessing? That sense of joy, that sense of, let me show you what it's like living in the light. I'm a very blessed person. How many of you feel that way? Do you feel like we're blessed? you feel like we're blessed sitting right here? I'm telling you, last week I, I, talk, I told you I talked to 23 pastors, most of which can't meet in their churches. Churches are too big. We can. And then the church reflects his, his light, his glory. Is that us, DCC? Do we reflect his light to this community? If not, we need to do a better job. We need to. So that's what the Festival of Booths was all about. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever comes to me will never again walk in darkness. You have nothing to fear by having your deeds exposed. Whatever you're doing in secret, we all have them. You have nothing to be afraid of. You have a very gracious God. He loves it. That's what we're to be like in our world. Father, thank you for creating light, first of all. 
for making that uh, your one of your very first priorities. Thank you for being light yourself and bringing light into this world. Thank you, Lord, for making us to be children of light and help us to be that way with the world around us. No other religion had this picture of bringing light to a dark world. We are very unique in this regard. Thank you for your goodness. In your son's name we pray. Amen.